Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Lofton Dupre of Viscatcher. Viscatcher offers real-time sales data from retailers in extremely high frequency. In our conversation, Lofton and I talk about how he happened to name his company after a depressed-looking rabbit, as well as how the company came about and what makes it attractive to investors. So in this episode, I'm joined by Lofton Dupre of Viscatcher Data. Um, thanks very much for joining today, Lofton. Thanks for having me, Mark. Super excited to join the podcast. Fantastic. Um, Lofton uh, Dupre, I mean, the fact that you still, you're, you pronounce it Dupre, that sounds to me like your close family's French. Is that is that right? My, my grandfather grew up in France and then came over to the United States. That's right. But it hasn't yet become depressed. Do you think in how many generations before it becomes depressed, do you think? It's getting close. It's getting close. I don't correct people <laughs> most of the time when they say depressed. So we're, we're really reaching that point these days. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cool. Well, you're very welcome. Um, you're, so you are the founder of Viscatcher Data, which is obviously an alternative data provider, um, which we will talk about. Why don't we start? Why don't you just tell a little bit about your story, perhaps, and, and your, because you, you, you founded a company before as well in, in data. Um, so maybe why don't you just tell your story as to, as to how you came to, um, to be create, creating Viscatcher? Sure, sounds good. So, so back in school, I uh, studied economics and got really interested in data science and figuring out ways that data could be leveraged to answer interesting policy and societal questions. Um, so that's kind of where I built out some of my skills. Um, as I was finishing up school, I started um, doing some consulting work at McKinsey and Company, where I got some exposure to how data was being used in the private sector to answer similar but adjacent types of questions. And was really intrigued um, by kind of what was going on and also seeing the limited applications of data. I kind of learned all of these interesting data science techniques in school, but then saw really not much uh, of that was deeply penetrated within the private sector. So saw a few opportunities to kind of start collecting some data that wasn't tracked and helping analyze it so that companies could make smarter decisions. So the first area where I did that was in the cannabis industry. Um, this was a few years back in the still relatively early days of the industry. Figured out that it was hard just to figure out what businesses were licensed to operate in the space and getting a basic idea of what products they were selling for what price uh, was nearly impossible. When was this? This was in 2017 is when I started this. So is this because was that, I don't, I'm, my cannabis uh, history is a little bit shaky. Was that, was that when it kind of was, was properly legalized in California? Uh, yeah, recreational uh, cannabis had kind of been legalized a couple of years before. It was definitely becoming more popular at this point. In the U.S., we've had this kind of patchwork piecemeal legalization state by state where some states yeah. are legalizing uh, cannabis for medical use, others for recreational use. 
Um, but it has been definitely accelerating over the past five years or so at a pretty rapid pace across the country. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so that was a that was a very like entrepreneurial opportunity at that point with the kind of moving with the trends. Um, and so you were so the opportunity was to track where um, where someone could get get hold of cannabis legally, or or, or how what what data were you were you um, getting involved in? Essentially, yeah. So we were collecting or kind of synthesizing data from government agencies, so like different state licensing agencies that were responsible for granting permits to businesses to legally operate in a state to grow cannabis, process it or sell it. And then we were combining that information uh, with data from public websites and directories that listed the menus of these companies. So businesses like Weed Maps, Leafly that show products and prices. Um, and then we put that together in a web app uh, where primarily businesses adjacent to the cannabis industry that were trying to penetrate the industry could get a sense of what was going on. Because like I mentioned before, it was sort of different in every state. Some states like California would have thousands of businesses. Other ones like Connecticut would have seven. Um, so this would kind of give them first a broad overview of what was going on and kind of an easy way to to ramp up. And then also they would get specific actionable insights about which markets uh, would be the most promising for them to penetrate first. Fantastic. So if if I may, that sounds like your gateway drug entrance into the alternative data world. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, but um, okay, and so that was that was the that was the beginning. Um, take, take me forward. That's right. So was working on that business for a while went well, we ended up selling that business at the start of 2020. And then I found myself uh, in the heat of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, just sort of hanging out looking at the world, seeing what was going on and evaluating if there were any potential new opportunities. And, you know, during peak COVID, a lot was going on. Things were changing. What was it like, just out of interest, sorry, what was it like? Because you, you, um, you sold it in the summer of 2020, which is a funny time to have been doing anything. You know, the world was, the world was, um, the world was dead. How was it? How was that process in terms of I don't know. It, it sounds like you were carrying on as if nothing had changed. Like, or was it, was it, was it a pretty bizarre kind of transaction to be trying to do? Yeah, no, that, that definitely uh, threw a little bit of a wrench in things. Yeah. So the, the transaction started in pretty, pretty early 2020, like January, February, but then due to the pandemic largely it kind of got drawn out as everybody was trying to adapt to remote work. Uh, so that definitely delayed things. And then also, you know, it just added another element in the negotiation dynamics uh, between us and the buyer. And they're like, oh, the, the world's ending. Maybe the purchase price should be lower. And we're like, oh, but all these software companies are doing so well at this point uh, as the pandemic goes on. So definitely yeah. added some some complexity there. And, but in the end, it all works out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's great. Making um, So you made the, made the most of the situation, at least. Um, and so then you were, as you say, so that's June to... June, June 2020 and and um and the is founded in July 2020 so you you didn't hang around you um you were you were you spotted your opportunity quickly <laughs> yeah the idea even came a little bit earlier than that so yeah. it, definitely something on my mind okay and so what is the so we track information on the retail industry um, in particular we're trying to present a real-time view of what's going on in terms of what products are being sold and where um, so that's kind of the primary info and of course we also include other important statistics like inventory levels and prices of various goods 
what 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 is the data? Yeah, so like I was mentioning before, I was sitting around during the pandemic and seeing all of this rapidly changing news, um, but there wasn't a whole lot of data to to kind of back up uh, what was going on or kind of showing the impact of the pandemic um, in a specific manner on retail sales. And it's like this is kind of crazy that we're having to wait one, two, even three weeks to see the effect of the pandemic on sales of different segments throughout retail. I figured investors should have a more up-to-date view, it's kind of like Nielsen, IRI reports that take several weeks to come out. And at the same time, I was doing shopping for myself online, buying goods and seeing kind of these curbside pickup, buy online pickup in store programs that these retailers were investing heavily in. And one thing that I noticed was that these curbside pickup programs often displayed the exact inventory quantity of a given item in a given store. I could see that there are a dozen pair of AirPods at my local Target. So what we figured out we could do was track those quantities at a pretty high frequency to detect changes when they're going up or down to see when items were being restocked or sold in real time. So we put together a pretty large web scraping architecture to be able to track essentially all products across all locations of a given retailer to see what products are being sold um, where. Uh, How big is your retailer universe? Uh, so we've been steadily adding retailers um, since last summer. Um, we're at about, about a dozen right now. Some of those have more history than others. Um, but we, try, we try to include a, a broad mix of retailers. So kind of our flagship data set covers the retailer target. Um, and then we also have other data sets covering some hardware retailers like Ace Hardware, uh, in addition to electronic stores like Best Buy. And then some more specialty stores like apparel uh, retailers like Lululemon uh, and cannabis uh, retailers listed on Dutchie. But this, but this data, you noticed it was curbside pickups, which is very related to to the COVID situation because it wasn't. Um, so as a result, they were kind of that was they were advertising in that in that specific moment in that way. I mean, are you does it does uh, are you do you still have access to? Um, ongoing data as we as we come out into the into the recovery and we go back to towards normal. For sure, per- COVID was sort of just the uh, the culmination of a, a lot of the different events that accelerated the deployment and implementation of these programs. Back from my consulting days, I know that many retailers have been investing millions, tens of millions of dollars in systems to better track their inventory throughout supply chains. And one of the key use cases for that data was showing it to customers because customers, there's been a lot of behavioral econ research and psychology research that's shown that customers are a lot more likely both to purchase an item beforehand and go into the store when they see an item's exact availability online because they either have confidence that the item's in stock when that quantity is large or when it's low, they feel like they need to make a decision and act quickly. Um, so I think the benefit that these retailers are seeing, even post-COVID, of making this data public uh, is pretty large and helpful to their bottom line. So we're pretty confident that's going to stick around for a while. Fantastic. And who? So who uses this data? Who's who's been the, the the buyers of it? And and did you were you thinking of the kind of you know asset management hedge fund space uh, first first out, or or where 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 did your market come from? That was definitely one of the the first markets that we started to target because, like I mentioned before, there are some other data sets that will tell you what is being sold at retail stores, like these POS, IRI, Nielsen data sets. The main difference with our data set is twofold. One, 
is that its lag times are much lower. We're seeing this information just hours after a product is sold rather than a week or two weeks. Um, and so in asset management, when you're investing and can get information earlier than the rest of the market, that can give you a great leg up. Um, so we've definitely seen some interest and use there. Um, and then more generally, uh, we also see that the data can be useful for competitive intelligence. So companies that are within the retail industry better understanding the sales of their products relative to their peers, because our data set also will have broader coverage than some of those other data sets, for example, including the sales of private label products, which often aren't picked up um, when the retailers share that data uh, to those POS aggregators. If that was the main usage, or if, if that was the main, yeah, if that was the main market, the competitive intelligence, do you think there might be increased uh disquiet from the retailers themselves that you know that their competitors can can understand what's going on so well that they're they're kind of giving their competitors a, a an opportunity and the data would be less available um is that is that is that a consideration or do you think it's just uh, irrelevant on the in the grand scheme from the from these companies perspective no, i mean that that's certainly a possibility um but i think in general the retailers don't view themselves as too large of a competitor with the brands that they stock i mean currently retailers will provide data feeds to the brands that sell through their stores that really mm -hmm. detail um the sales of their own products at a pretty granular level they just aren't sharing information on the other brands uh, that are being sold through these stores for, for kind of privacy reasons. And, you know, brand X wouldn't want brand Y finding out about their, their sales from Target. Um, but we're kind of able to pr provide that um, more complete view, which often helps these brands kind of manage their inventory and make sure that they aren't facing shortages and they're pricing their products appropriately, that sort of thing. So I'd imagine that in the eyes of the retailer, that's actually something desirable. They have fewer out-of-stock issues, all of that sort of thing. Um, so I think the incentives of the retailers are, are fairly aligned uh, with what we're doing. Yeah. So you've been you've been selling this data set for um, a year uh, or so, just over. Um, what do you what do you see as uh, what 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 have what's been your biggest learning? What did you not expect? What's the um, what's the kind of <laughs> Yeah, the most unexpected part of, of, of this market and, and, and how it all works. Oh, I mean, there have been so many. Um, I mean, one, of course, is just kind of figuring out all of the steps to go through um, to get an asset manager to come on board in terms of having an appropriate amount of history and presenting the data in the most useful format. I guess one of the perceptions that I had early on when I was entering the all data space was, oh, the largest data buyers do all of the data work in-house. They have teams of dozens of data science PhDs, and they can just take an enormous raw data feed and then do all of the work themselves. And uh, to, to a degree, that is what we heard from some of these data buyers themselves. But in reality, we figured out that when you do a whole lot of pre-processing and pre-analysis on the data itself, people find that a lot more helpful. Um, so kind of over the course of the past year, we've certainly moved from just focusing on providing raw data to also kind of providing more data visual visualizations and kind of pre-processed insights so that these analysts can get to decisions faster uh, with our data. What do um what do customers get most excited about when you're when you're showing them the data? Is it is it the uniqueness or or is there anything about you which makes them always makes their pulses quicken? 
One thing that we've heard recently, um, especially in the past few months, has been our ability to kind of notify people of shortages before they're more broadly recognized in the market. So even kind of in this sort of post-COVID state in the United States, uh, we've been seeing a lot of supply chain issues um, in retail, chip shortages, a number of issues. Um, and one thing that we're able to see in our data set is kind of which products at which stores are running out as that happens in real time. Um, so because our data sets have such low lag times, people have definitely been getting really excited about seeing, oh, which appliances at Best Buy are, are out of stock and they're not able to rebuy, um, which segments at Target are starting to see shortages as we move into the summer and consumer demand shifts. Uh, so kind of all of those questions around what's going on right now um, get get our customers pretty excited. Brilliant. Well, Lofton, um, I think it sounds like a very exciting time for Viscatcher. Oh, one more question. Uh, a Viscatcher, as I'm told by the internet, is a very sad looking rabbit. Uh, where <laughs> did uh, where did where did the name come from? Did you see this rabbit and think that's that's what I want to be like? <laughs> Exactly. It's a uh, scrappy little rabbit native to the Andes Mountains in South America. And we were thinking about the, the values of Viscacha and who we were. We figured that they actually lined up pretty well with that scrappy little animal that's able to survive at high altitudes with not much food. It kind of makes the most um, from a competitive and kind of low resource uh, environment. That's kind of what we're trying to do with Viscacha, trying to make the most of public data on the internet and leverage every opportunity that we can. Fantastic. But you're going to have to change the name when you become huge and a global corporation. Is that is that the plan? Perhaps. Or maybe we'll just stick to our, our roots in our early days. <laughs> You'll always be. Yeah, there'll always be a there'll always be a bigger market, a bigger a bigger place to be to be scrappy within. So you'll always have have. Um, yeah, new possibilities. Um, Lofton, well, best of luck with that, and um, and good luck with with Viscatcher and the growth that that I'm sure is 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 ahead. And um, thanks very much for uh, for for coming to share today. Sure, thank you so much, Mark. It's been great chatting about the company, and uh, look forward to continuing to to listen to the podcast and all these great episodes that you're putting together. Thanks very much. 